right, so this morning, I am really, really excited about preaching. I really am, number one, because it's been two Sundays since I've gotten to preach, but also because the, the, the message this morning is really one that comes from what God has done and continues to do in both Mona and my hearts. Um, some of you know we were on uh, vacation, and, uh, and the Lord did some pretty pretty cool things um, and opened up some pretty amazing doors for us while we were on vacation, and I'd like to, to share that with you. But I ask you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 35 through 38 and ask that you would just follow along, and then I'm going to ask something of you, okay? I'm going to read... And then I'm going to ask you to do something and to be involved, in a sense, in this message, okay? So Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to ask you to do something. In a moment, I'm going to pray again. Yes, we're a church. It's okay to pray more than once, right? I'm going to pray again, and I'm going to pray specifically this time for you. Because here's what I'd like you to do. While I am praying in a moment, I'm going to ask you to be praying and ask the Lord to give you the name of someone that you are acquainted with. Okay? Just ask Him to reveal to you in the quietness of your own heart the name of somebody you are acquainted with. It could be somebody you just met. could be a longtime friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker, a classmate. It could be a family member. I'm just going to ask you to ask the Lord to reveal to you in your own heart the name of someone that he wants to give to you. Now, I am going to ask that it's gender appropriate, that if you're a male, you... you, you have him, have him give you the name of a male and, and female and, and so on, okay? Does that make sense? Not so on, because there's only two genders. I don't want to make it sound like I think there's more than two. But I'm asking you to be gender appropriate. I'm asking you to ask the Lord for a name of an acquaintance that he wants to burden your heart with today, okay? Is that making sense? Clear? Let me pray for you as you go to the Lord and listen for that name. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is involved in each person's life here. And so, Father, I know that you desire to provide a name. I know that you want us to, to be caring and, and, and loving people. And so I, I, I just would ask right now for each one in this place that you would indeed reveal a name to them. Burden their heart, I pray, with a name. Burden my heart with a name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to just keep that name in your brain. Keep it in your brain. And if you have a hard time keeping the name in your brain while you're listening, like I would, jot that name down, okay? If, if, you, have a, if you think you're going to forget, jot that name down. We're going to come back to it in a moment. 
Based on this chapter, I, I want to tell you and I want to encourage us this morning to love them like Jesus. To love them like Jesus. The, the voice that I heard that night was very, very familiar, although I couldn't quite, quite place who it was. The, the, the mannerisms were, were something that I had recognized before, but I, but I, couldn't, I couldn't tell who it, it was. As, as we sat at the table right next to him and, and what we thought was his wife and about eight other people at that table, there was something so familiar about him. And I remember just not even really talking to Mona because I was so trying to figure out who this person was. I recognized him somehow until finally I leaned forward and I asked Mona, do you recognize that person? And she looks over and again, the the room was kind of dark, so we couldn't really see his face full on, but she kind of looked and goes, maybe... We were, we were at, a, at a dinner uh, a restaurant that also included a concert. So our tables were right here, the, the stage was up here, and, and we sat right about here, and then there was this big table full of these people, and on the other side, right across that table from me, was this man who was very familiar. The concert was from A.J. Lambert. Have you ever heard of A.J. Lambert? She happens to be the granddaughter of Frank Sinatra. And so we were there to hear the granddaughter of Frank Sinatra sing one of his albums in the wee small hours. I didn't know the album, but I got to tell you, it was very depressing. It was a depressing night. The, the room was dark, and, and, and she's singing, and these songs, uh, she, she introduced the album and said it took place after her, her uh, grandmother and him, who was Frank's first wife, they divorced. And so this album came after that, and lo and behold, it made sense because it was rather, rather sad. And A.J. herself was rather sad as she sang these songs. And, and, and I, but I kept looking, who is that? Who is that? I, he is so familiar to me. And then right next to me, so I'm sitting here, and right about here is this elderly woman, older lady. And, and as I looked at her, I recognized she was the most sad woman I think I've ever seen. She didn't smile at one time, because I was sitting so close to her, I heard her complaining about the food that she had been served and didn't like the way it was prepared, and, and she seemed rather grumpy and, and just not very happy whatsoever. And then A.J. Lambert introduces her as her mom, Nancy Sinatra. Yes, these boots were made for walking, right? It was Nancy Sinatra who had such gloom and doom on her face. But the gentleman that we, we knew was familiar to us, he was full of joy, full of life. He and his wife had, had, had just joy exuding from them, and they would talk to Nancy, and they would talk to other people at that table, and, and we're still going, who is that? Who is that? And then at one point it clicked, I know who that is. I know who that is. Here's who it was. Do you recognize him? Gavin McLeod. It was Gavin McLeod of, well, Mary Tyler Moore show down at the bottom there. 
and he was Captain Steubing on the love boat, right? <laughs> and it was honestly Gavin McLeod. He was at this place, and, and, and Mona had always wanted to be Vicky Steubing, the captain's daughter on the TV show, and I think she looks like her right there, doesn't she? She looks like Vicky. And he was the nicest man. When the show was all over, we went up to him and, and started talking to him. And Mona said, I, I'm sorry to ask you this. I'm sure you get asked a lot, but can I get my picture taken with you? And he said, yes. And I think he said yes because Mona herself looks like a celebrity. So he probably wanted the picture with her more than she wanted the picture with him. Right, babe? Yes. Very good. I got some points. But he was the nicest guy. We sat there and talked. Here's what happened. During the concert, A.J. Lambert said this. She said these words, and my heart broke. She said, you know, the best you can do in life is hope that in the end, your good outweighs your bad. That's literally what she said. I wrote it down because my heart broke, and I decided at that point, that's why she's so gloomy. That's why there's no joy in neither her life or Nancy's, because that's the only hope they have. It's an unsure hope. It's an uncertain hope, and it's something that will never happen because the Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So there's no way that could ever happen. And here's these two women who are celebrities, so to speak, who have all that you think you'd want, and they are the gloomiest people. And when she said that, my heart broke, and I thought to myself, I thought, oh, they need to hear about Jesus. And I thought, I wish I could tell them about Jesus, but, but I'm scared of Nancy, <laughs> right? And even if I did have courage to talk to them, they wouldn't give me the time of day. I'm just a little guy from Madras, Oregon. And I just thought, though, how, Lord, how, Lord, can you reach them? We talked to Gavin McLeod, and Gavin says, I'm here because I live next door to Nancy Sinatra. And he says, she invited us to come, and we were happy to come. And, and he just exuded this love and this joy and this kindness. It just kept coming out of him even as we talked. And then when we said goodbye, he, he said this as we left. He said, God bless you. God bless you. And Mona and I had this thought. When we came away, we said, I wonder if he knows Jesus. And so we got on our phones and we Googled and we looked up. Yeah. And guess what? He is a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes no bones about it. In about 1985, he received Christ as his Savior, and he and his wife, Patty, who was there that night, they had divorced, but he even says in biographies and in interviews, he said it was because of Jesus Christ, both of them giving their lives to Jesus, that now they're married again. They got remarried. Isn't that cool? And here's where my thought went. I was like, yes, he lives next to Nancy Sinatra. He is showing her and telling her all about the love of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of it. And sometimes I will think of that night and I will pray specifically for Gavin McLeod and Nancy Sinatra. And I just know he's sharing Christ with her. If she's still, is she still alive? She must be. I haven't heard of anything. Anyway, I'm, I'm praying for that. But here's the deal. Here's what I wanted to show you is right away, Mona and I could pick him out of the crowd that night that was a gloomy night, and we could see something different in him. We saw what I, we came to find out. The love of Jesus was in Gavin McLeod and his wife. 
And I want to ask the question this morning, is that what we represent as well when we're out in the community? As a church family and as individual members of this church family, when we are out in Madras or in Redmond or Bend or wherever we go, are we showing the love of Jesus. See, this morning, I want us to be people who love them like Jesus. And in our passage today, I believe we have a summary statement of the love that Jesus has for people. A summary statement of the love that he displays toward people. And here's the amazing thing. While we were on this vacation, the Lord opened up doors for Mona and I to love on people it was crazy. It's never happened before to us like this. And so I want to share with you those things as we, as we go through this text. What I, what I want to ask the question is, do we really love people the way Jesus does? Now, I, I was thinking about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why is it that Jesus didn't just come to this earth and immediately die on the cross for our sins and raise again on the third day? That's what he was all about, right? That was his purpose in coming, right? Am I right? You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Jesus came to die for our sins and raise again on the third day, right? Yeah. Oh, good. I thought maybe I needed to share the gospel with you all over again. But listen, he came to die and raise again for our sins and conquer death and sin. And so the question I had was, well, why didn't he just do that? Why did he spend three years before that? He could have easily just come and, and died and, and paid that sacrifice. And you think of many things, there's many answers that you might give, but I believe one of the answers is he's showing us an example of how to live, and especially how to love. And in this passage, I want us to see his example, and I want to challenge us to love him like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to love him like Jesus? And I want to just share four quick things with you. First of all, it is to see them with the eyes of Jesus. So Jesus, in our, in our passage here, he's going throughout all the cities and villages. I mean, there was a bunch there. He's walking. He didn't take the taxi or Uber or anything. He's walking from village to village and city to city. And he's going to synagogues and he's teaching them. And the scripture says he's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And he's healing. He's ministering. He's touching lepers. He's, he's healing blind eyes. He, he's, he's ministering to the, the outcasts of that day. And Jesus is going around and he's, he's with all these different kinds of people. But notice what the text says in verse 36. When he saw the crowds. He saw the crowds. He saw the crowds. Jesus didn't just get buried in his, what he was doing. I have this problem. It's my problem. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but I get so caught up in doing that I forget about the people that are with me. In fact, I'll be honest with you, and I'm growing in this, I'm working in this, I promise, but I used to really get upset if I was studying for a sermon and somebody interrupted me. It was like, get out of my face. That's what, now I, I, I'm working on being more loving and, uh, but don't interrupt me, please. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I get so enthralled in what I'm doing that I forget about the people who might be there. Jesus didn't do that. It says he, when he saw the crowds, 
as he's ministering, as he's busy, I imagine he's dead tired because he is so busy ministering, going from city and village, from town to town, and he's loving on people, he's ministering, he's teaching. And I'll tell you, even after 40 minutes, okay, you're like, be real, 45 or 50 minutes of preaching, Jeff, right? Then I am exhausted. Here's Jesus teaching after teaching after teaching, and he's ministering. He's got to be real tired, but the scripture says he's still took notice of people. So if we're going to see them with the eyes of Jesus, we have to notice people. Do you notice people? I mean, when you go to the gas station, do you notice the attendant? When you, when you go to the store, do you notice the clerk? I know what some of you are thinking. I do, especially if they don't do it fast enough. Then I notice them, Right? You notice the waiter or waitress at the restaurant, especially if they don't do it right. Do you really notice them? Or are you so consumed with self and what you're doing that you don't really see the people? You need to notice the people if we're going to have eyes like Jesus. It's easy to overlook, but notice what Jesus does. He looks at them and he looks at them and says, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looked beyond their physical condition and looked into the spiritual condition of these people. He just doesn't just notice them, but he thinks about where are they spiritually, not just physically. Now, there were some lovely people, and there were some what we would consider unlovely people that were Jesus was ministering to, he was looking beyond all of that, whether they were lovely or unlovely, and he was seeing the spiritual condition of their heart. They were harassed. They were helpless. And the bottom line is they were like sheep without a shepherd. I worked on a sheep farm. Three years. Most miserable three years of my life. No, not really. It was not fun, actually, because they're not very smart. They're really not. And there were times that we would, we would catch them and they would have laid down in the field and their side would have gotten numb and they couldn't get up themselves. And we had a blast because we'd go out there and we'd lift them up and because they were numb, they would do this. They'd just be going around in circles. We would laugh. Sometimes they'd fall back down and we had to go lift them up. They're not very smart. One time, uh, dogs, got, dogs got into the herd and we came upon the scene and there was a, a ewe that was just sitting there. She was frozen still while the dog, I, I tell you, literally was gnawing on her neck. It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, why aren't you running? Why aren't you kicking? Why aren't you? But the, the, she didn't, she was not very bright. And, and see, what Jesus is saying is these people spiritually, they need someone to lead them. And they didn't have it in the religious leaders of that day. And we won't go there right now. But they didn't have it in the religious leaders. These people spiritually were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them. He took notice of them. But he also thought about their spiritual condition. And sometimes it's easy for us to overlook people and not even think once about their spiritual condition. I read a story uh, about a, well, it was in 1992, a Los Angeles County parking control officer came upon a brown Eldorado Cadillac illegally parked next to the curb on a street uh, when it was street sweeping day. So the officer dutifully wrote out a ticket, ignoring the man seated at the driver's wheel. The officer reached inside the open car window and placed the $30 citation on the dashboard. 
The driver of the car made no excuses. No argument ensued, and with good reason. You see, the driver of that car had been shot in the head 10 to 12 hours before and was just sitting up there stiff. And that parking ticket person didn't even notice, wrote the ticket, put it in the car, and walked on by. There are people that are dead spiritually, and too often we don't see them with the eyes of Jesus. We don't even notice. They're like a corpse sitting there, and we just, oh, you didn't bring my food on time. Ah, oh, man, you, you, you ripped me out of that money or whatever. And we don't see them spiritually speaking. And I'm here to tell you, if we want to love people the way Jesus loved, we need to recognize what it says. He saw the crowds. When he saw the crowds and he looked beyond their physical condition and he recognized that spiritually they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we too, if we want to love them like Jesus, we need to see them with the eyes of Jesus. We need to recognize those things about them. But secondly, if we want to love them like Jesus, we need to feel for them with the heart of Jesus. Jesus sees the people. He sees the spiritual condition. And the scripture says, when he saw the crowd, verse 36, he had compassion for them. Compassion for them. Compassion in the English is a great word, isn't it? That's like a, oh, that's a good word, compassion. We have Compassion International, and, and we talk about being compassionate toward people. It's a great word in the English. But in the Greek, it's kind of a yucky word. It really means stirred up bowels. That's not very poetic, is it? But it's the idea of having such care and concern for someone that you feel it in your gut, that it is, that is right there. That, that you see them and you recognize their spiritual condition and it causes this stirring within you so that you feel it right here. That's what happened to Jesus. He saw these people. See, i got to be honest with you again. God's working on me in this area. I am so quick to look at people and go, ooh, right? I mean, not any of you here. But some people in, in the community that we look at, it's easy to go, ooh, stay, let's walk on this side of the street. But Jesus looks on these people with compassion. It stirred his gut. He felt something for them. And if you and I will honestly look at people, it will cause compassion to rise up in us. If we will not ignore them, if we consider their spiritual condition, this compassion will rise up. Like when we were on the plane, we, we flew out of Portland, and we flew right down to, to the Palm Desert area. We flew into Palm Springs Airport, and, and we were on the plane, and Mona was sitting next to this, this lady who got on the plane, of course, in Portland, I mean, that makes sense, right? And anyway, so, so we're talking and we're asking, so are you going for a visit or are you going home? Well, she told us that her son lives in Palm Springs and she was going there for Mother's Day. And so we got talking some more and, and pretty soon she, I, I, I was sitting on the other side and so I couldn't hear all the conversation, but at one point I did hear this. She, she tells Mona, she goes, well, my son, he's gay, and he has a husband down there, and so I'm going to go stay with them. Now, I'll tell you what. In my flesh, I wanted to go, 
But God said no. Jesus, Jesus would have looked at them with compassion. And my wife did so good. And, and listen, this is not, I'm sharing these stories only because this is what the Lord did in our hearts and lives. I'm not sharing to make us look like we did so good because we blow it. Especially me. Mona hardly ever, but I do. But Mona said that, Mona's talking to her, and, and, and at this point, she asks then, what do I do? <laughs> uh, Mona says, he's a, he's a pastor. And I'm expecting some conversation to flow from this, and she goes, oh, nice, nice, nice. And then later, she starts talking to Mona, and she goes, you know, my husband and I and our kids uh, went to church years ago. And she goes, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of the church, and then she named a big church that if I mentioned the name, you would know it in Portland. She goes, I was the wedding coordinator there. And then when my son was about 19, he, 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 he told us he was gay. We didn't know what to do, but we had heard other churches in Canada telling our daughter who was married and up there, telling her that, that you know, if this happens, then they were telling parents to disassociate from your kids and then here was their statement. This is what she said. We were, they were told to pray, pray, pray until they're no longer gay. Disassociate from them. Disown them. And she looks at Mona in tears and goes, I couldn't do that. This is my son. And she said, we haven't been to church since. Now, I don't know if that was self-imposed. I don't know if it was that church that said something. I, don't, I can't tell you because we don't know exactly. But... Mona, Lord bless her, she looks at her and with tears in her eyes says, I'm sorry. And I was on this side, I could see the lady looking at Mona and she was like, what in the world is going on? Why are you in tears? And Mona said, I am so sorry you've been hurt by the church. And then later she was able to say, listen, you understand that Jesus is the one we follow? You understand that he loves you unconditionally, don't you? And she said, yes. She said, I put my trust in Jesus. She talked about Jesus as her Savior. She even went so far as saying, my husband died eight years ago, and before he died, he made this statement to me. He said, well, I guess I'm atheist now. And she looked at Mona, and she goes, but I know he trusted in Christ as his Savior. I know he's in heaven. And there was kind of a question mark after her statement, like, isn't he? Our hearts broke. Here we are sitting with the mom of a, of a son who is gay, and, and that is shunned. And we wanted to show the love of Jesus. We get to the airport, and sure enough, we walk to get our baggage, and or luggage, baggage. I guess I'm the baggage. We got to go get the <laughs> luggage. And sure enough, there she is over there, and her son's there to pick her up, and we could see her kind of pointing at us. And so Mona went right over, we went right over, and we talked to her, we talked to her son, and obviously she had told her son that I was a pastor because he was very, very reserved, very uncertain whether I'm okay or not to talk to. Shook his hand, we talked about where to eat, and, and, his and then later on, a few days later, we saw them at the street fair. We walked up, this time we met his partner, and, and we just wanted to be the love of Jesus. We wanted to see them for where they're at. 
We don't want to judge and condemn because he grew up in church. He knows what their, where the church stands. He knows what the Bible says. I don't need to judge. And, we wanted to love. We wanted to love him like Jesus. And our hearts broke. We felt compassion because we allowed ourselves to see them the way Jesus sees them. And we felt that kind of compassion. And so if we're going to love them like Jesus, we need to see people the way Jesus sees them. We need to see them with his eyes. We need to feel for people with his heart. But thirdly, we need to minister to them with the hands of Jesus. With the hands of Jesus. Here's an amazing thing. If you jump back up before these things are said of Jesus himself, you, you see that he's ministering to people. I mean, the scripture says he was going from these villages and cities and he was teaching, but notice also what he was doing, healing every disease and every affliction. Now, I got to be honest with you. I believe those people are no different than people today. And you know as well as I do that if there is somebody today who is healing people, a lot of people will come for the wrong reasons, right? They'll come, they just want it to be about me. I want to be healed. I, want to, I, want, I, don't, I don't care who's doing it. You just heal me. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to walk. I want to be able to talk. I, whatever it is, I want healing. And I believe in Jesus' day, there were those kind of people as well. Very selfish. Didn't care about much about who was doing the healing. Just wanted to be healed. And yet Jesus healed. Jesus, in fact, this scripture says every affliction all the diseases that came before him and every affliction that came, he healed them. He ministered to them. When I was in Bible school, there was this great debate, a huge debate. Do we share the gospel with them first or do we take care of their needs first? Do we focus on taking care of their needs? Well, what if we never get to the gospel and they die? Well, do we, do we focus on sharing the gospel? Well, then the question is, will they even listen to us if we don't really care for them? And I say yes in both. And the reason why I say that is because of what Jesus does, right? Jesus ministered to the people. He healed. He loved on them. And here's an amazing thing. And I know some of you are probably thinking to yourself, Jeff, if you read the rest in verse 37, Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. So all we have to do is pray. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You need to minister. Why do I say that? Because what happens in chapter 10? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and in chapter 10, he pulls 12 of them out, and he says, listen, I'm going to send you out. So by verse 5, he says, go out there. Go. If, of chapter 10. And here's what he says. Proclaim, verse 7, as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But look what he tells them to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. He tells them to minister to people. I want to tell you, if you're here and you think that I just love people by praying for them, then you're wrong. You're not loving like Jesus loves. You did check your rotten tomatoes at the door, right? So you're not throwing them at me? We cannot just pray. We cannot now pray. Absolutely. Please hear me. I'm not saying prayers is bad. Prayer is amazingly, wonderfully good. Pray, but do something about it. Minister to people. We had an opportunity to minister to someone. It was, it was nothing real big, but it was something simple. And I say it not again to, to brag, but to say it's as easy as this. Mona and I were at a restaurant, and it was before that street fair that I talked about. 
And we were telling our waitress that we were, you know, going to walk down the street to the street fair and we were going to have a good old time. And she starts telling us and, and that her and her son were able to go a while back because she had a Thursday night off from work. And so they went. And she said, we found this booth that has these chocolate chip and oatmeal cookies and they come in bags. And she said, my son ate one of those and we had to buy not just one bag, not just two, not just three, but we bought four bags of those oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and we ate them all up. She's telling us about this. And we're like, at first, in all honesty, my flesh was like, why are you telling me this? But we picked up on it and we're walking through the street fair and Mona goes, let's go buy a chocolate chip oatmeal cookie and take it back. And we did. And you would have thought we had given her a million dollars. She turned around and saw us, and it was almost like there was a fear on her face, like, oh, no, what did I do? You're coming back. Why are you back? And then Mona goes, hey, we bought you an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. We're not sure if it's the right one, but, but we thought of you. She, tears started coming down her eyes. She gave Mona the biggest hug, would not let go, and I started to run because I knew I was next. But sure enough, <laughs> she came and she hugged me too. You would have thought we hung the moon simply by giving her a chocolate chip cookie. All we were doing was trying to show the love of Jesus. All we were trying to do is listen to her, understand where she's at, and let her know that somebody cares. And hopefully in knowing that we care, she knows there's also a Savior who cares. So we want to we minister to people if we're going to love them like Jesus. And I need to get going because time is, is sneaking away, but, but we want to minister. Jesus ministered. Jesus sends out his disciples to minister. We want to love on people, and I would encourage you, it might be as simple as just buying a chocolate chip cookie for someone, but I encourage you to see people, notice them, and consider their spiritual condition, and I want you to, I want you to, to, to have compassion. Allow yourself to feel with the heart of Jesus for those people. And I want you to minister then, and it could be a very, very simple, simple way. But there's a final thing here that I want to show you, and it is we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. There's a statement that's very popular that is assigned to, although there is no proof of it, assigned to Francis of Assisi, and it says this, Share the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Now, now we get that, right? The problem with that statement is this. Somehow we get to thinking that all I've got to do is show them. Right? All I've got to do is act and never have to tell them, never have to use words. Only when necessary do I have to use words. I want to I clarify our thinking on that. See, the Bible says that salvation comes through the hearing of God's word. And how are they going to hear? Unless somebody tells them. How's somebody going to tell them? Unless there's sent. And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news to people. So we need to share the good news verbally. Amen. You with me? We want to love them. And I say, and we've said it, I've said it before, and, and it's my phrase lately, I'm stuck on this, and until the Lord moves me to a new one, this is my phrase, I want to lead with love, but I can't leave it at love. 
I've got to share. I've got to open my mouth. I've got to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? I've got to tell them that Jesus loves them, that he died for their sins and rose again, and that if you give your life to him, you don't have to be like A.J. Lambert, who's hoping that her good deeds outweigh her bad. You can be certain of it. Not because of your good deeds, because of the one deed that Christ did on the cross in dying for our sins. And so listen, we need to share the gospel. And the Lord burdened me with this at 3 a.m. in the morning one night on our vacation. We met another couple. It was the craziest thing. Never had this happen before. I mean, we're in the whole Palm Desert area down there. It's huge. And we went to a, a restaurant one evening, and sitting next to us was this sweet couple, older than us, but sweet, sweet couple. We started talking kind of cool, kind of interesting. He, he was sharing how he's in the uh, uh, engineering and uh, machinery. What was it? What's it called? Business. Anyway, and, and how he makes airplane parts. Well, I'm very fascinated by flying, so I'm asking more about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. He tells me some, and so we're talking a little bit. Then he goes and tells me this. He goes, I'm, uh, my last name is Stearman. I'm like, oh, Stearman. Yeah, my uncle is the one who designed, engineered, and built the Stearman biplane. I'm like, whoa, this is a rock star right here for me right now. He said, my uncle ended up selling that business to Boeing, but he says, I'm still in the industry, and I I'm, I'm, I'm make machine parts for, for different planes. And so I was like, connect, I was fascinated. So we talked. Well, we left. The next night, we go to a totally different restaurant, and guess who shows up at the very same restaurant? <laughs> this same couple. And so I jokingly said, where are we going to have dinner tomorrow night? <laughs> and then I told them, well, we've already got plans. We've got reservations at this place. And guess what? They called, and they got reservations at the same place. And in fact, it was filled up, and then they had a cancellation on that same day. So they showed up to the same place the third evening in the row, so the fourth day, we decided we're going to go and we're going to have uh, uh, lunch together. So we ate lunch. And then the Sunday night was going to be our last night. We were going to be busy and they were leaving uh, a few days later. And so, but Sunday night, we intentionally planned on having dinner at Tommy Bahamas, our favorite. I mean, it was their favorite place, our favorite place. So we, that was our last hurrah. We found out much, much more about them. Like he had just in, in uh, November had uh, a lung transplant. He only had one lung. His other one was all shriveled up, he said. And so I noticed him wheezing a bit as the evening went on and very concerned. And, and when the discussion came to what I did, told him about being a, a pastor and, and his wife said, oh, we go to a Baptist church in Wichita, Kansas. And so it was cool. We were talking about the Lord and, and this, that, and the other thing. And, and it was a great relationship. We had dinner Sunday night and it was 3 a.m. that next morning that I woke up, and I've never honestly ever had this happen before in my life, but I really believe it was the Holy Spirit woke me up, and immediately I am weeping for him. I was remembering how he was wheezing the evening before, and, and my, my mind was this, I don't know how long he's going to live. And while they talked about going to church, I never really made certain he knew Jesus as his personal Savior. And I wept. 
I wept that night in bed. And I was like, Lord, I am so sorry. Lord, help me figure out how to talk to him about Jesus. And so our plan was to get back from our plans early enough so that we could see them before they left. So we got back, texting them, no answer. The next day, text them. It was the day they were supposed to leave, no answer. Finally, a few days later, she texts back and said, sorry, we had to leave early. He was doing so bad. And I am weeping all over again, going, Lord, 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 I want to make sure he knows Christ. I want to make sure. Don't take him home, please. Don't, don't let him die. I want to make sure he knows Jesus is his Savior. And he went through surgery, which we found out later was a common thing for him in this condition. And now please pray with me because I'm going to write him a letter and I want to share Jesus. I want to make sure he knows Jesus because I don't know how much longer he has here. See, I came to this point where I needed to tell him about Jesus. We can show the love of Jesus, but we've got to get to a point where we tell people about the love of Jesus for them specifically. So do good things, do wonderful things for people, show them the love, see them the way Jesus sees them, have a heart of compassion for them, minister to them in ways that the Lord puts in your way as, as options for you to do. But please, please, please learn from my mistake. Make sure you talk to them about the love of Jesus. Jesus went through the area and he was teaching and preaching them about the kingdom of heaven. When he sends out his disciples, he tells them, you go out and you teach and you preach and you share with everyone you come in contact about the kingdom of heaven. And just to remind you, the kingdom of heaven is the place where the Lord Jesus rules and reigns. And it's going to be amazing. And it already kind of is when we put our faith and trust in Christ. We're part of that, that, that kingdom, and, and, and we can kind of experience it a little bit right now. But here's the deal. we got to tell people. we got to tell people. So let me go back. At the beginning, I asked you to think of somebody, a name, and I pray that the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, put a name on your heart. You remember that name? Do I need to pray for you again? Are you awake? You remember that name. So here's what I'm asking you. What is the Lord asking of you this week toward that person? Maybe he's just asking you to see them the way he sees them. Maybe he put on your heart somebody that right now you're a little bit like, I don't know if I want to spend much time with that person. And maybe he's just asking you today to go, hey, see them with my eyes. Understand who they are in Christ or, or, or created by me, understand their spiritual need. Maybe he's just asking you to see them with his eyes. Maybe he's asking for you to think about that and to have a heart filled up with compassion for them, to start recognizing them as individuals who, who in all of eternity will either spend either in heaven or hell. You see, the truth is, the only two things that count for all of eternity is the Word of God and people. And maybe part of the compassion He wants to build into your heart is to help you understand where they're going to spend eternity should they die today. And maybe He wants you to feel the urgency. Jesus felt the urgency. He says, listen, the harvest is plentiful. 
but the workers are few. He understands the urgency. There is this harvest that is ripe. And I, I tell you, even in America today, I, I tell you, it's a little more difficult to share the gospel and see people respond to the gospel, I believe it, than it was several years ago. But the harvest is still plentiful. And we just need to see, and we need to feel, and we need to seek to minister to people, love on people, and then share with them the gospel. And maybe that's what he's asking you to do with that person that he put on your heart. Maybe he's saying, today, I want you to determine in your heart that you're going to sit down with that person at some point this next week, and you're going to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. You've known them long enough. You've cared for them. You have a burden for them. And now is the time. I don't know what he's asking of you with that person, but I believe he's given you that name for a reason, either to see them as he sees them, to feel with his heart for them, to minister to them in some way this week, or maybe it's just to get down to brass tacks and share the love of Christ with them. Would you pray with me? And let's just take this home. I'm going to ask you to right now in the between you and the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to lift this up to him. Lift that name up to him. Let him know that you get it, that you, that you have understood that this is the person he's burdened your heart with. And then I'm going to ask you just to listen for a moment. Ask the Lord, what is it I'm to do this week to love him like you do? Father God, I thank you so much for the summary statement we've looked at, at the heart, at the love, the care and concern that our Savior Jesus had, has rather for people. And Lord God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, each one of us would follow through the things that you're calling us to as you've given us the name of, of somebody I pray, Father, that next week we would come with great celebration and rejoicing because we were able this week to love them the way Jesus does. Father, thank you so much that all of this is only possible because you have loved us so much, that you have given us your only begotten Son so that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and became the propitiation for our sins, the, the, the pleasing atonement that satisfied your wrath that is to be poured out on sin. Thank you, Father, that for those in this place who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, that is true. Thank you for your love. And so, Father, help us to not only tell people about that love, but to demonstrate it as well, as we've talked about this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.